younger I had a job as a security guard at a stadium near my house. It wasn't too difficult a job mostly because while I did work events the majority of the work I did was during the downtime between events and that made for pretty easy but also pretty boring work. Because I was one of the newest people on staff I did the job of a floater meaning when people were taking their lunch breaks I would go to their position and I would wait for them to come back. Some of these old timers who had been there for a while had pretty nice setups. They knew exactly what to bring with them, often a radio, almost always a comfortable chair. My favorite guy to replace was this guy who brought not only a comfy chair, but a nine inch television with him. And while this thing would only get two channels, one of those channels, almost every time I replaced him, was showing the TV show Quincy M.E. It's a show that I always liked before this, but during that summer, when I would replace him for his lunch break, I would sit down, and for that hour when he would leave me alone with that television, I was getting paid to watch Quincy. One day he came back from lunch a little early, and Quincy was still on. And as it turned out, he was a fan. A big fan of Jack Klugman especially. To my surprise, the very next day when I went to replace him for lunch, he got up, pulled out another folding chair, presented it to me, and then pulled out some soup and we watched Quincy together. The whole time, he was telling me about how Jack Klugman liked horses and horse racing, and how one time he saw him at some event. After he had shared his one Jack Klugman story, his stories just became more generally about his life. Now, here was a guy who was in what would be called retirement age, and he had lots of things to tell me. And basically, he chose to spend his lunchtime watching Quincy with me, but I think it was more the company, the idea that he had someone who was definitely going to come to him who he could tell his stories to. Over the course of the summer, he would tell me story after story while interrupting episodes of Quincy. And time and again, he would forget which stories he told me and tell me the same Jack Klugman story multiple times. But I found it really comforting. I often lament that it seems that generationally, people are working separately more and more. That we're not seeing a mixing of generations at work I think that young and old, we have something that we could share with each other. And maybe it just takes the common enjoyment of a TV show to bring us closer together. Or maybe it was just my luck. Whatever the case, whenever I watch Quincy, I can hear this fella's gruff New Jersey accent telling me stories about horse racing and working at the docks in New Jersey. He was an interesting fella who made my job a lot more fun. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the show we shared Quincy M.E. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about the show's reception, the music, the basis for the show, Meta Girls back with a top five list, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Quincy M.E. is a medical drama mystery show that aired on the NBC network from October 3rd, 1976 to May 11th, 1983. It starred Jack Klugman in the title role as Quincy. A couple of sources are noted as the inspiration for Quincy. So I'm going to run through some of them. I think a lot of it was reference material, but there were also a couple of TV shows that might have inspired Quincy, although the people behind the show never really admitted to that being the case. So one of the books that's referenced as an inspiration for Quincy is the book Where Death Delights by Marshall Houts, which is about Dr. Milton Halpern, who is a pioneer in the field of forensic medicine and was the chief medical examiner of New York City. I've tried getting my hands on a copy of this book. The reviews of it are pretty good, but it is very expensive. So Halpern was making headlines as a very well-respected chief medical examiner. At the same time, Thomas Noguchi, who was a coroner in the city of Los Angeles, was also making headlines as the coroner to the stars. He was the chief medical examiner, coroner for the county of Los Angeles from 1967 to 1982, which fits in very well with the time frame for Quincy. He would determine the cause of death in a lot of high-profile cases at the time, including the death of Natalie Wood, John Belushi, Marilyn Monroe, Sharon Tate, and even Robert Kennedy. His high profile wasn't just because of the cases that he handled, but also he was known to speak very freely to the media, a move that was often criticized by people in the government at the time. Something you often see Quincy doing on Quincy M.E. is speaking his mind, much to the chagrin of his boss. There were two TV shows that preceded Quincy that were about medical examiners that are often cited as inspiring. One would be the 1966 Canadian television show Wojek with John Vernon in the title role. Vernon would actually make an appearance on Quincy, not as Wojak, but just an interesting crossover there. There's another British TV show from 1968, so after Wojak, called The Expert, which starred Marius Goring as a forensic scientist named John Hardy. Sadly, the BBC wasn't known for high-quality archiving back then, so a lot of The Expert is lost, but memories of it stand out for a lot of people and its similarity to Quincy is noted by them. The creation of the show is credited to two people, writer and producer Lou Shaw, who in addition to working on Quincy, would also work on The Hardy Boys and McLeod. And for Quincy, he would win an Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Television Episode, which he shared with Tony Lawrence. The other creator is a very well-known one, Glenn A. Larson. Larson was born in 1937, passed away in 2014. He's a producer, director, writer, created a lot of shows that people have heard of, including Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, BJ and the Bear, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider, and of course Quincy Emmy. He was nominated for multiple awards, including a Grammy and an Emmy, and he would also go on to win two Edgar Awards, one for an episode of McLeod, and another for an episode of Magnum P.I. That episode of Magnum P.I., he shared writing credit with Donald P. Belisario, another legend of television. The plot of Quincy is pretty simple. It stars Jack Klugman as Dr. Quincy, who is a fanatically ethical medical examiner for the county of Los Angeles. And 
week after week, he is called upon to investigate suspicious deaths. He's extremely gifted and competent. He is also extremely passionate, and he is known for taking on issues that he finds important. What made the show interesting is how it tried to deal with bigger issues. So not only would Quincy be trying to solve a crime, but he would hit up against a system that wasn't taking things very seriously. So what started to happen is the show itself tried to further an agenda that it endorsed. And eventually the star of the show would wind up testifying in front of Congress. An example of that would be an appearance he made to discuss orphan drugs or drugs that weren't being developed because they weren't profitable. And Klugman would talk about what he'd learned making that episode of the show. And basically his appearance would boost the profile of these issues. Quincy came on the heels of Klugman appearing on a very successful TV show with Tony Randall, The Odd Couple. He would win two Emmy Awards for his work as sports writer Oscar Madison, and afterwards he was ready for a change. According to Klugman, I was ready for drama after that. It's like food. You want a little Chinese, then some Italian. But talking about the freedom he got from being on Quincy after the success of The Odd Couple, he would say, But even in the midst of this, I do things that are as wild as anything I did on The Odd Couple. At the end of a scene yesterday, I grabbed a pitcher and dumped iced tea over Sam's head. They let me be me. I think what Jack Klugman is trying to talk about there is his persona. He is known for being sort of brash, and reporting at the time talked about the difficulties he was having, his outspokenness about the quality of the scripts in early episodes of Quincy. and. Because he was so vocal, the writers took it personally, and the two sides fought about it, and the press reported upon it. Klugman, while trying to show his outward rebellious streak, was happy it was over, though. He said, I hope it's peaceful now. I made a mistake in the way I said it. They got even by taking shots at me in every sketch at the annual writers' meeting. He ends, of course, with a joke, saying, They'll have another chance to get even. I wrote a show with Jim Rosen that they can say, he calls this writing? Klugman had a vision for Quincy, and he would push it in early production meetings, and obviously in the press. But in the end, he was right. He didn't want Quincy to turn into another detective show. According to Klugman, What I like about Quincy is that you don't see forensic medicine anywhere else on television. You're not just another cop show. Klugman wanted work that he was excited about, and even in financial inducements, wouldn't push him to accept work that he didn't really want to do at the time. He tells a story about a producer that wanted to sign him to a show. And now one of Klugman's passions, as I mentioned, was horse racing and horses. And the producer said, go to Hollywood Park and pick any two horses and we'll buy them for you. Klugman, hearing that, instantly knew this is a person he didn't want to do business with. He didn't want some financial inducement making him do a show. Instead, he wanted to do a show no matter what if he liked it. And as Quincy started to take shape during the first season, Klugman became more invested and the show would thrive. And one of the interesting things about Quincy is the forensic medicine. But this was the 70s and the 80s. So regulations prevented them from showing the autopsies on screen. So you had to have a good actor like Klugman who could deliver the lines describing 
the procedure as it was going on. And you'll often see these very tense scenes that show Quincy or his assistant Sam standing over basically the camera working on an off-screen body and describing what's going on. And you could almost swear years later that you did actually see the autopsy. These are so well done. Production was mostly done on studio lots. If you're a fan of the TV show Emergency, the Rampart Hospital that's used in there, hospital scenes from Quincy were actually shot on that very set. Danny's, which is a restaurant that Quincy would eat at often. Danny's restaurant exterior was at 445 Admiralty Way in Marina del Rey. So Quincy didn't get its start in the traditional way. There was no pilot for Quincy. Instead, Quincy was broadcast as a 90-minute telefilm as part of NBC's Sunday Mystery Movies in 1976. And included in the rotation of that Sunday mystery movie were mystery movies from Macmillan, McLeod, and Columbo. Quincy itself was very well received, and after four of these movies in 1976 and 77, it was spun off into its own weekly series. And so they were able to go straight in to show with a 13-episode shortened series during its first season, and then a full season order would follow. These mystery movies, especially the Quincy ones, were very well received. In a review from the time, Joan Honauer wrote, The series stars Jack Klugman as a maverick medical examiner who battles the police department, showering them with forensic clues. Klugman, with some Oscar from Odd Couple clinging to his expressive gestures, gives Quincy a sardonic humanism as he tries to connect a trio of murders that tie into City Hall. The show had a very good cast, filled with lots of veteran character actors, and it was anchored by its star, Jack Klugman. Klugman was born in 1922, from Philadelphia, passed away in 2012. He was a character actor who was equally comfortable on stage or on television or in movies. He would begin his career in television and work on films like 12 Angry Men and TV shows like The Twilight Zone before landing his role on The Odd Couple. He had started in the stage version, replacing Walter Matthau, and then would have the role opposite Tony Randall on the television series from 1970 to 1975. One little fun, interesting thing about Jack Klugman is his passion for popcorn, which I believe he used as a weight loss method. I've read some interviews where he discusses how healthy a snack popcorn is. He was such a fan that he lent his name to a popcorn franchise called Jack's Corn Crib. I never ate at a Jack's Corn Crib, but I love the name Jack's Corn Crib. One bit of trivia that everybody always likes to bring up is, what is Quincy's first name? They never say Quincy's first name on the show, and we never really learn what it is, but we do know what it starts with, because in one episode, you get to see Quincy's business cards, and on it, it reads Dr. R. Quincy. So his first name begins with R. Is it Robert? Is it Roger? Is it Reggie? It's whatever you want it to be. Just use your imagination. Sam Fujiyama was played by Robert Ito. Robert Ito was born in 1931. He's a Canadian actor, probably best known for his work on Quincy, but he appeared in a host of other TV shows and films and then would become prolific as a voice actor. Just do a search on Robert Ito, check out his filmography, and look at all the voice work he did. From Avatar The Last Airbender to Woody Woodpecker, he has made appearances on tons of great cartoons. 
Gary Wahlberg played Lieutenant Frank Monaghan. Garrett Christian Wahlberg passed away in 2012. Worked in a lot of TV shows throughout his career from the 50s until the early 1990s. Shows like Star Trek, The Fugitive, even the TV show The Odd Couple, where he had a recurring role as Oscar Madison's poker bunny Speed. One of the highlights of his career was his appearance in the very first episode of The Twilight Zone, Where Is Everybody? John S. Reagan played Dr. Robert Aston, another great character actor who appeared in lots of TV shows and movies, including Star Trek The Next Generation, Murder, She Wrote, and on movies, Earthquake and The Parallax View. Reagan was one of these guys who had a very good mustache, and according to Reagan, he thinks that's why he got the role. He was at the Universal Studios restaurant, and Glenn Larson spotted him. He said the hamburger was terrible, but it was well worth it. Why did he wear a mustache? One casting director described his face as very bland, and he started wearing glasses or the mustache, which made him have roles as either a bookkeeper or a lawyer most of the time. Reagan was also one of these people who was a big supporter of Klugman's fight for better scripts. According to Reagan, It doesn't bother me he's so outspoken about the show. He has allowed me to add information I have researched. He's always asking me to rearrange scenes so they play better. It's a very creative experience. Val Bisaglio played Danny Tovo, Quincy's buddy and the owner of the aptly named Danny's Restaurant. Italo Valentino Bisaglio, born in 1926, a character actor who, in addition to working on Quincy, had a pretty decent role on The Sopranos as Murph Lupo, but would appear on M.A.S.H., Barney Miller, Kojak, The Rockford Files, and many, many other things. In films, he's probably best known for a small role, but one he really owns in the John Travolta film Saturday Night Fever, where he plays Frank Monero Sr., the father of Tony Monero, John Travolta's character. Rounding out the cast, you had Joseph Roman as Sergeant Brill, who was Monaghan's sidekick, character actor, best known for Quincy. Eddie Garrett played police photographer Ed, who appeared in tons of episodes of the show, but often in very small scenes. Mark Scott Taylor, who would join the show from seasons four through eight, started out as a technical advisor. He actually worked in the medical examination field and had the ability to operate things like an electron microscope and other instruments. So they brought him in to be a technical advisor, and it was cheaper to just teach him to act and get him on the show. Slowly but surely, his role would expand, and by season seven, he would become a co-producer on the show. Finally, one of the more interesting casting decisions was to bring on Anita Gillette. Not because Anita Gillette is a controversial actor. She's a very talented actor who appeared in lots of TV shows, movies, and stage, very talented, has worked as recently as 2016 on television. But she would come on to play Dr. Emily Hanover, who Quincy would marry toward the end of the series. Now, it was established that Quincy was a widower who lost his first wife, Helen, before the series started. And so when they showed Helen in flashback, Helen is also played by Anita Gillette. So Quincy's former wife is played by Anita Gillette, and then the woman he married is played by Anita Gillette. So Quincy really has a type, and that type is Anita Gillette. Are you wondering what the best episodes of Quincy Emmy are? Here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of Quincy Emmy. Five, four, three, two, one. 
Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the forensic pathology procedural, Quincy M.E. At number five is season one, episode four, Hot Ice, Cold Hearts. This episode, the fourth of four feature-length Quincy episodes produced for the NBC Sunday Mystery Movie Series, presents a dreamy 4th of July weekend on Catalina Island that turns into a nightmare of murder. Quincy and his girlfriend Lee are relaxing on his boat on Avalon Bay when he's summoned to assist a seriously ill swimmer. After the man's death, Quincy determines that the swimmer had been poisoned by a deadly stonefish, a creature not found in local waters. Has the venomous fish migrated to Catalina? Could trusting tourists be subject to fishy fatalities? Becoming convinced that the swimmer was the victim of foul play, an idea reinforced when Quincy is mugged and biological samples from the dead man stolen, Quincy investigates further, much to the chagrin of bureaucrats near and far. His inquiries uncover a multi-million dollar jewel heist and an international conspiracy. Number 4 is Season 1, Episode 8, Visitors in Paradise. Quincy and Danny go on a fishing trip to the lakeside town of Paradise. Just as they drop their lines in the water, a young woman pulls her boat alongside theirs and thanks Quincy for coming to reassess the closed case of her mother's murder, for which her allegedly innocent father rots in jail. Quincy has no idea what she's talking about. It's an obvious case of mistaken identity. Yet, he is so moved by her tragic tale that he can't resist helping. The more that Quincy digs into the closed case, the more trouble comes his way as local thugs try to thwart his investigation with brute force. In the end, a new forensic test permits Quincy to tell the difference between male and female blood, which is the key to targeting the truth. An interesting bit of trivia, Jamie Lee Curtis made her on-screen debut as Girl in Dressing Room in this notable episode of Quincy. Number 3 is Snake Eyes Part 1 and 2, Episodes 5 and 6 from Season 1. Lee and Danny tag along with Quincy to a coroner's convention at a Lake Tahoe resort. They all enjoy some entertainment, including gambling and stand-up comedy from Ronnie Fletcher, played by the great Buddy Hackett. But the fun and games don't last long, as hotel guests and staff become stricken by a mysterious and deadly illness. Quincy teams up with a few other coroners, but the cause of the sickness eludes them. Exacerbating the tense situation, the resort owner doesn't want to concede the calamity, fearing a battering to his bottom line. Quincy does his utmost to contain panicked guests, trying to keep the highly virulent disease from spreading from the hotel to the outside world, perhaps starting a pandemic. At number 2 is Season 4, Episode 13, The Depth of Beauty. Quincy delves into the world of cosmetic surgery after he autopsies a woman who committed suicide because she hated the scars caused by a botched operation performed by the seemingly inept Dr. Emile Green. When confronted by Quincy, Dr. Green denies responsibility and callously blames his victims for neglecting his aftercare instructions. Quincy discovers that Dr. Green is not even a qualified plastic surgeon, but rather a gynecologist. Learning that the law allows doctors to practice any specialty they choose, regardless of certification, Quincy crusades to close this legal loophole or at least shut down Dr. Green. Via an ad in the newspaper, Quincy tries to gather enough victims for the district attorney to file criminal charges against Dr. Green. One respondent is a former movie star who tells her tragic tale on a late-night talk show, which ultimately mobilizes the law against the diabolical doctor. And the number one episode of Quincy M.E. is… Season 5, Episode 21, 
deadly arena. When three people die as the result of botulism poisoning, Quincy, in collaboration with Dr. Janet Carlyle of the Department of Health Services, tries to find the link between the victims. They discover that all three had visited Franklin Stadium, the fictitious name for the LA Memorial Coliseum where much of the episode was shot on location. Worried about the potential cancellation of the upcoming World Cup soccer game, the stadium's manager resists the investigation, saying, "...nothing short of a bomb threat could keep this game from going on as scheduled." To which Quincy replied, "...you've got a bomb! A biologic bomb! If you let this game go on as scheduled, you'll be playing Russian roulette with 90,000 lives!" Doctors Quincy and Carlisle race against time to find the source of the deadly toxin and prevent the worst health disaster ever known. And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the classic medical mystery show, Quincy M.E. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. Quincy would become famous for its preachiness. Quincy liked to give a good lecture and talk about a societal issue that we're not aware of. Sometimes those would work to great effect when he would be talking about things like eating disorders or orphan drugs, but sometimes they would come across a little odd, like in Next Stop Nowhere, where Quincy talks about the detrimental effects of punk rock music in very dramatic ways. And even at the time, people were criticizing the TV show for that. I really enjoy seeing these moments now, not because I find them poorly written and think it's funny. It's a little funny, but more because you do get this snapshot of what it looks like when generations try to figure out what is going on in the world. When you have someone like Quincy, who is a bit older, and he's going into punk rock clubs, or at least TV versions of punk rock clubs, and not understanding the changes that have happened around him. On early 80s television, you actually didn't get to see a lot of representations of things like punk music. And while Quincy's interpretation of it was a little cartoonish and weird, at least we got to see something like it. The Quincy theme song is pretty wonderful, and they had some great musical talent behind the scenes of the show, including people like Stu Phillips and Bruce Broughton. Bruce Broughton provided the music for much of Quincy. He's credited with 65 episodes. He would work on movies and television shows, movies like Tombstone and Young Sherlock Holmes. And on TV, he would work on things like Dallas and Hawaii Five-0. Just a prolific talent. Oddly enough, Despite all of this talent, the theme song to Quincy, which is probably the most famous part, was actually composed by the producer of the show, Glenn A. Larson, who, in addition to being a producer, was a talented musician. He would often write the themes for TV shows that he produced, and while it was often a practice that a producer would demand that their name be put on the theme song as a composer to receive some of the royalties Sometimes they would even do something cheesy like write lyrics so that they could get some sort of royalty for it. Larson was actually a real music composer and did a really good job on lots of TV shows as both a producer and a composer of theme songs. Quincy was very well received almost immediately. The ratings for it were solid, which is why it would get decent reviews. But even years later, for example, in 1980, 
The show was finishing in the top 10 with numbers like 16.6 million people watching it on any given night that it would be broadcast, which is impressive. But it also explains the staying power of the show and why it would get a run of eight seasons for a total of 148 episodes. And the show would go into syndication pretty quickly and not only get shown in the United States, but also overseas starting in 1976 when Quincy was originally broadcast in Canada. It would then go on to other countries, the UK in 1977, Japan in 1979, Germany in 1981, and then in the mid-80s in Italy. And now the show still gets broadcast worldwide, and its fandom stretches across the globe, which is why the show is available on home video. It took some time, but slowly but surely, Every season of Quincy was released on DVD, all of which you can get now. From time to time, the show was put onto streaming services. Unfortunately, right now, Quincy is only available on DVD. With all of the streaming services that keep popping up, including one by NBC, I do think we'll eventually see streaming of Quincy once again. Fortunately for fans, services like YouTube occasionally get episodes uploaded there so if you want to watch an episode just do a search from time to time and you'll find a few online while lots of shows would talk about forensics before quincy quincy was the first show to go in depth on forensic investigations and this would become the hallmark of many shows that were to follow Quincy took the drama of science procedure and made it the cornerstone of the show that combined with a talented cast and a lead actor who saw that this had a future. And he wasn't wrong. Plugman's belief in the direction of the show would prove to be well ahead of its time. We would see shows that would follow, including so many CSI shows, shows like Crossing Jordan, Diagnosis Murder, Bones, any number of these shows owe a huge debt of gratitude to not just Quincy, but also Jack Klugman himself. Without Quincy... We probably would have gotten these shows, but it would have taken a lot longer. So if you're a fan of these newer crime shows and want to see the original, why not check out Quincy? It's got a super talented cast, some fun writing, it's a great snapshot of its era, and it's just a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy at twitter.com slash peachypixel8. That's the word peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Just look for the Welsh flag. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you like top five lists, then you'll probably like Metagirl. You should follow her on Twitter. She's at twitter.com slash metagirl. That's meta G-R-R-L. Thanks to everyone who is supporting the show over on Patreon. It is very much appreciated. If you'd like to support the show, you can drop by patreon.com slash retroist. There you'll find episode extras and member-only episodes, as well as access to the Retroist Discord. I'd like to thank new members who've come aboard to support the show, including Eric Hohn, Matt Griffin, Jennifer Skahan, Geek Filter, and Rick Boyer. You're all wonderful people, and I'm glad to have you aboard. 
If you can't support the show via Patreon, if you drop by wherever you download the show and give it a positive review, it really helps other people find the show, and I really do enjoy reading nice things about myself. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Today's episode of The Retroist is brought to you by a funeral home. As Quincy will tell you, you're all going to wind up in a funeral home. So why not think about funeral homes? Gotta love those funeral homes. (laughs) This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.